listening to the Couples Guide podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Talia. We're both licensed marriage and family therapists. And today, like every day, (laughs) we're debunking myths and delivering truth about dating, relationships, and everything in between. Trust us. It's awesome. Good morning, Talia. Episode 68. Yes. All right, sister, are you going to go in there and you want to be the bad cop or the good cop? What do you want to be? I'm always the bad cop. (laughs) That's actually true, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) You're the bad cop. I'm the good cop. I don't even know why I'd ask that. (laughs) We would be great as a parenting team. (laughs) Yes, go team. (laughs) All right, I'll go in there nice and soft and help out. You're always the good one at that, though. I'm terrible at it. I highly doubt that's actually true, (laughs) but I love those roles. And yeah, for today's episode 68, Good Cop, Bad Cop, what the heck are we talking about? Well, for you, dear listeners, this is something that I brought to Talia because I started noticing over time, there can be a dynamic in some relationships where partners sort of take the role of the good cop or the bad cop in the sense that there's conflict, tension, issues in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And a narrative sort of forms that one partner is the good person and they, they have the relationship skills. They're doing all the right things to try to make the relationship work. And the narrative continues and the other partner is, is the problem in the relationship. They're struggling. They don't have the relationship skills. Something's going on in their life that is actually like the main cause of relationship conflict. Mm -hmm. And this narrative forms, and I'm talking about it when both partners accept it. There's Mm -hmm. another version of this where like both partners kind of blame the other person as a bad cop. That's actually more common in my experience. And that kind of makes a little more sense. It's like, no, we're fighting because we're just blaming the other person. That's not what I'm talking about. When we're thinking good cop, bad cop, or when there's one person that's kind of identified as the problem. I'm talking about this really unique, not unique, but this this specific dynamic that both partners, including the quote unquote bad cop, have adopted this narrative that the one partner is the problem. Or they're incapable, or it's learned helplessness, or not that they call it that, but it's the... It's, I know when we were first talking about it, it's the example I gave that once one couple, or actually it was just like a family I was working with and the mm-hmm. woman was reporting whatever, I forget whatever she had said that she was explaining the dynamic between the two of them. And she brought something to his attention that they both knew was happening. And he kind of goes, well, like this classic covert defensive well I guess I'm just an asshole. I'm incapable mm-hmm. of la la la. So mm-hmm. it's almost, it's almost that, but it's more so this is a known thing likely from what you're sharing. It's something that's tangible, that it's been discussed. It's not only a role that the couple is playing. It's truly something like perhaps, uh, perhaps it is a diagnosis, perhaps it is a personality trait, perhaps it is a cultural difference where it's being attributed to that potentially, or it's just this narrative that they've created that this person has more skills, this person has less skills, therefore this is what the relationship looks like. And I'm guessing it could go back to in some conflicts. Well, that's just because this is who I am as a person. It's essentially underlying that, well, that's because of my trauma or that's because of my alcoholism or that's because of my whatever. 
I think that's one of the things. Yeah. I think the reason why I wanted to bring up this dynamic is because, yeah, there can be some pitfalls in a dynamic like this Mm -hmm. in relationships where maybe the, in the narrative, the bad cop goes, well, that's me. That's, you know, I'm trauma or I'm in recovery. So that's what my, my alcoholic brain does and kind of gets stuck in that. Yeah. But also there's like a really interesting, again, I keep calling it dynamics. That's what it is. But there's a really interesting, like two part role that both partners then feed and perpetuate where the bad cop, if they accept that sort of role as they're the problem, the bad one, there's Mm -hmm. also a huge shame piece to it for them. There's just like, and that can be a huge pit for, for that partner to fall into. It's like, oh man, well, I am just not as available in the relationship. I am not as skilled and, oh, I do suck at this or yep, I am a horrible person, you know, and I try all the time to say the right things, but I can't because not good I'm enough. not good at this. And then the other partner who might be in that good cop role also will then agree and be like, yeah, see, you're doing this. I try everything I can. I'm this savior. And yet, no matter what I do, I'm so yeah. Well, yeah. And then they feel really frustrated because everything they're doing is out of care for their partner. Right. But at the same time, because the narrative is agreed on by both of them, then that the the good cop will then also struggle to see their role in the dynamic because they're often this time where the good cop is perpetuating some of the negative cycle or the negative interactions that happen between the partners and whatever issues in the relationship, if the partners have inadvertently agreed that it's one person is the problem, then it keeps the other person finding ways to actually look at themselves and how they're contributing to the problem. So that's sort of, that's why I think it's really interesting to look at and pay attention to. And, and we kind of hinted at it, but I, I think it is useful with how kind of complex this dynamic is to give some concrete examples. Yes. So I shared this with you right before we were recording, but um, a couple examples from my past clients would be um, a couple where one partner had a traumatic brain injury, a TBI, mm-hmm. and so literally had to have brain surgery and there is some cognitive functioning decline. And so with that experience, the partner came, you know, the couple came to understand, well, because this partner struggles to remember things, then they're the ones who are always making mistakes. They're the one who's always at fault. And they both agree on that. Yeah. When there's actually more going on than just that. Mm-hmm. Another good example, and actually might be a little more common is when one partner maybe is in recovery from substance abuse. Oh yeah. And a very helpful thing from recovery is, you know, you think of the 12 step program, people and going, Hey, I have a problem. It's one of the first steps to admit that. Well, if that becomes part of the couple's narrative of, okay, this person is the problem because they're a quote unquote substance abuser, right? They have an addiction and both partners agree to that. Then that might be the only thing they focus on when they're struggling in their relationship. And it's a really common thing to get stuck in this dynamic where quote unquote, one person is the problem. Mm-hmm. when really sure that might be a factor in how the couple relates there's normally more going on so I think those are two like clear examples of what I'm talking about of how this could come about in a relationship yeah and I think it it does it's kind of like in either full family therapy or when family suggests one person goes to mm-hmm. sessions 
that it's the identified patient is what we call it clinically, yes. right? Like yeah. you're the one with the problems, maybe not, but we're just using you as our scapegoat and family systems. And yeah. so you're going to be the one who goes to get better. Yes. And much like in substance use recovery and treatment, yeah. that requires the whole system to change. And a lot of people don't realize that. And they're like, wait a second. No, but he's the one getting sober. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, but you're going to have to stop enabling the mm-hmm. addiction by buying the either the drugs or whatever you were doing, paying for hotel rooms, rescuing him from bail, like you have to change too. And then they're like, oh no, I don't, I don't, I don't have the problem. I don't want to change things because I'm fine. He's the one with the problem. I'm like, okay, so maybe he needs to go. And I'm looking right at them and I'm like, you need to go. So it's this feeling of there's, there's something being either potentially scapegoated or placed or owned by the other by either one to the other by the person of this is this is who I am Mm -hmm. this is because of this and this is why I don't have these skills either they're owning it or that they've agreed they've co-created this narrative of oh well yeah the relationship is like this because Mm -hmm. it's partner A's issue and partner Mm -hmm. A is like yeah that makes sense I will Mm -hmm. have this and then like you're saying with the shame piece as well I don't think everybody notices that right away, but as an objective third party, being a couples therapist, I think you can relate to, I hope you can relate to this as well. (laughs) I notice it a lot quicker than they might notice it. We might all know that the pattern's happening, but to know why, right? Because it's, I can avoid my own issues. I can be the superior person in the relationship. I can be seen as the expert. I'm in the one up position. We've agreed they're in the one down. So they don't really feel like it. So we can last longer all of these systematic patterns are happening right under their very noses, but Mm -hmm. they're looking at it more like, well, yeah, this is just the way that our relationship is. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm curious for you or hear your experience. How do you, if you do, how do you assist couples in moving out of that dynamic? Well, I think the first thing that clues me into it is what I was mentioning earlier was about the shaming piece. And it's actually and I don't mean where the good cop is shaming the bad cop. Um, I'll mostly notice it when the bad cop partner is shaming themselves. Yes. I'll yes. go, oh, so you're not fighting up against this blaming language from your partner and trying yeah. to say, no, it, it's not me. Here's what you do, which is yeah. a very common, you know, pointing fingers thing. Instead, they start going, yeah. And they might even use it like, yeah, I suck. Or yeah, I know I have a problem. Or yeah, I know that. I'm the worst. Yeah, I'm the worst. And of course, like there's moments where we can all own that. And that's not to say a bad thing in any relationship to go like, oh yeah, I messed up. But I'll, mm-hmm. I'll notice it quickly where it's a, you know, what we call like either a pervasive trait or right. a global thought about themselves. I'll go, oh, you are in a space where your, your view of yourself is I'm a bad person. I have a problem. Right. So that's what'll clue me into it. And to your question about how do I start addressing and shifting the focus, quite literally when I first notice it and, or maybe not when I first notice it, when I first like confirm, yep, this is happening. So I might have to do some exploratory double checking. I will lean on one of my ground rules for couples therapy, which is no shaming or blaming language. And I introduced that in consultation with couples and couples get it immediately. Like, oh yeah, of course you don't want to shame or blame each other. But I also point out like no shaming or blaming ourselves in this space. They're like, oh, that I can't promise you. Sorry. Yeah. And they're just <laughs> like, what? I will not yeah. do it to them, but I will hundred percent do it yeah. internally. Yeah. yeah. They'll be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. 
I don't. That's how I'll start the awareness of it. Yeah. Um, it, that's not the actual way to shift that dynamic, but I'll just, like we always say, well, some of the first early steps are always yeah. bringing awareness to it being like, oh, yes. do you realize, or do what you, I'm you see what I see that yeah. this is happening? Am I the only one who sees this pattern? Yeah. And then depending on the couple, it might be as simple as just exploring and me pointing out that this narrative happens. It kind of depends on how um, entrenched they are in those roles and how defensive they are in the in hearing this feedback and there's a lot of context that can change that like how you know how soon do I bring this up versus you know is it midway through therapy and we're finally talking about it or is it like in the first couple sessions mm-hmm. um, and then just in general the, the the defense behind it how protective are these roles mm-hmm. is it so protective for the bad cop to be able to say look I'm bad this keeps me in this space and it at least like helps me deal with the guilt and shame and at least I've like earned it because I've made mistakes in my life. That's a huge protection. Or is the good cop feeling so pretty like, no, like I've worked so hard to try to solve this, these issues in our relationship. And I, I don't see anything wrong with what I'm doing in a vacuum. So it'd be very threatening to even acknowledge that I'm a part of this system that isn't working right now. So I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole. It's a little bit no, dynamic I, I see, and challenging, but that's kind but of where I go like with it. There's one, there's one entrance mm-hmm. <laughs> to this issue, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the dynamic at play. Yeah. And then the different ways this can, the different ways that this comes up or, mm-hmm. or kind of the genesis of this one issue can be the, like we talked about, the learned helplessness can be, it has to be your fault. It can't be my fault, right? More of the one up, one down position. I need to be all good. Somebody else needs to be all bad or the bad object. And you co-sign that, right? And then I look at it analytically or psychodynamically. What is the purpose of being in a relationship where you both are in in knowing that is your position, right? You don't need to know why. I'll do the analysis on why. Like I'll go mm-hmm. into your childhood and your family and all the roles. But mm-hmm. why are you participating in something mm-hmm. that you both are able to notice, whether you know why or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do notice that this happens. Okay, then why be in that, right? Oh, and I, that's where I try to move couples into shifting and changing it by looking at when else has this come up for you, if ever, what was it like for you and your family? How were emotions expressed? Were you allowed to have a voice? Did you feel this way since childhood? Did you feel superior? Did you feel inferior? Because if we think of it that way, or did we fight to feel superior, but never could. And now in adulthood, we have this new mastery, but we have to find somebody who we perceive or they perceive themselves to be maybe both in a little bit of a lesser position, less knowledge, less relationship skill, less what have you, that then they naturally partner with somebody they feel led by, which can feel good, but also they're being put down or they're putting themselves down. Right. So I, I look at it, the two rabbit holes could, could potentially be. I'm choosing this because I see this about myself and therefore I'm going to pick a partner who supports this narrative mm-hmm. or I'm blissfully unaware. Maybe other partner is too. We mm-hmm. co-create this narrative together and we both play these roles because it feels good. And usually dynamically because of childhood or early adolescent experiences, this is why it feels good is because I felt this before, right? Yeah. It's like a repetition compulsion almost that I want to build some sort of mastery over a childhood experience, I never quite got to close the loop on. And mm-hmm. so I recreated in my adult life in order to finalize it and move past it, but that's not really how it works. No, and it's self-perpetuating. So not only is it possibly from this childhood familiarity that feels good in the 
system that's happening, the relationship that's going on, it self-perpetuates because these roles are start getting more and more defined. And first of all, I just want to say that makes perfect sense, right? Hey, these are familiar feelings from our childhood. Nice. Um, oh, initially, like there might be, like we were saying, acknowledging a very specific reason why, oh, this one person might have a specific challenge or struggle, traumatic brain injury, in recovery, et cetera, et cetera. And so that makes sense to help organize, oh, this is why it's hard. But when both partners dive into that, it perpetuates and it actually makes it like, it's like you just keep digging that hole further and further and further mm-hmm. and getting stuck in it. Yes. And that's one of the things when, and of course, that's why I notice it because when couples actually come to see me, they're so down in the hole. Like, how the hell did we get here? We thought we were doing some good stuff. There was this, but it actually seems somewhat counterintuitive after a point to really be rigid in the, in this type of role and agreeing that one person is the problem, mainly because I think that self-perpetuation means that it traps that shame, Mm -hmm. which can really kill hope. Mm -hmm. And if both partners are agreeing to this negative message about one partner, then you're going to solidify a power dynamic that isn't useful. I think that's kind of something you were saying. I don't know if you were thinking about that way, but useful in the sense of now there's going to be one partner who is always taking the responsibility, who is always doing the work and is always holding the emotional labor, the mental labor, the repair labor, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And the other partner is going to always be, if they're stuck in this, trapped in a one down less than position they're not going to have as much agency they're not going to feel as if they have a role in the relationship to speak their voice or have authority Mm -hmm. and a couple i think yeah i I was just checking i believe a relationship is egalitarian Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that in every moment both partners have to have equal say i don't mean like globally in every single thing it's fine to organize your roles in certain ways but this role organization keeps a like universal blanket power issue at play where one person stays very powerful in the relationship and another person is always quote unquote less than because they are quote unquote the problem and by the way I'm doing all this quote unquote stuff because I really want to make sure on audio you know that like when I'm talking about this I don't agree with these terms when I use quotes it's kind of like those are labels put on that I inherently look to I want to be breaking down yeah, I will take an alternate route yeah. <laughs> and not put them in quotes that there are couples who use yeah. their, the classic term would be weaponized incompetence, mm. right? I just can't do this. You do it so much better than me, right? Do my laundry, do the dishes. You're so much better at it. There's also weaponized competence. I'm mm. so much better at this than you. I'm going to go in and do this on your behalf because I'm the one with the expertise, blah, 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 blah you decided it's true. Therefore you start acting upon this. And this is what I'm going to put in quotes, truth, your mm-hmm. own belief mm-hmm. <laughs> that you just accepted as everybody's going to think this is true. And you started operating on this. And what if your partner isn't as incompetent as you make them out to be? Mm-hmm. Or what if they were on the precipice of growing out of this old role, mm-hmm. yet they just happen to partner with you at this time. And you, you are, going in and assuming that your truth in quotes is the ultimate truth is going to perpetuate that for them, right? Mm -hmm. If I decide that you're incompetent, I'm going to show up like a self-fulfilling prophecy 
treating you and showing up in my own way to support that you are incompetent because that's what I believe, right? Versus if I look at you and go, you are just as capable and competent. I don't care if you have a brain injury in the sense of like, I'll care for you, but it's like, don't use that as a reason. We can get through this. That is that is the second stage of how I try and shift couples who are in that. I'm like, says who? Like, have you ever stopped to fact check what you guys are operating on? And they're just like, oh, I guess not. Right. Or they'll, they'll say something and I'm like, okay, so how do you know that's hundred percent true? Well, I don't. Or where did you first hear that? Who needs you to be that way? Right. It's breaking down those questions to, to break out of that self-limiting belief or this self-fulfilling prophecy Uh of whatever it might be. I'm incompetent. I guess I'm just an asshole. Right. Uh I can never do anything right. But it's this, it's this defensiveness because in analysis, we look at it with parents and children, especially when kids will say this to their parents. And we see this in, in couples as well in partnership hey, you know, my childhood was so great, but now that I've learned about validation, I really could have used more of it growing up, right? Well, I guess I failed as a parent. How could you? I gave you everything. I put a roof over your head, right? And it's like, yeah, okay. I'm not negating any of that. You brought that up on your own. All I said was, this would have made my childhood even better, even better, acknowledging that it was already good. Mm -hmm. But because I can't tolerate being seen as a bad object, right? In analysis and parenting, I can't, it it deconstructs me as a person. And so I'm going to defend against it by, well, I guess I'm just this, which detracts you from the original point and makes you go in and emotionally rescue me from feeling uncomfortable being the bad object. Then we move on, but we don't really move on because I just skirted this issue and moved it into, thank you for telling me I'm a good parent. I feel so much better now, right? Move me back into the good object position so we can go on our way and have this system go as it was, but that's not, that's not sustainable. It's also not realistic that we're going to be all good all the time or all Mm -hmm. bad all the time, which also speaks to this good cop, bad cop narrative to bring it full circle. That's not possible to have a long lasting, sustainable, joyous, deep, intimate, committed, what have you, the goal relationship. If we're continuously feeling put or being, you know, putting ourselves in either the one up or one down position. There has to be some sort of equilibrium in which we have a little wiggle room and visually I'm, I'm having my hands in front of me kind of weighing them like buoys in the ocean. You have to have some wiggle room. If it's, yeah. too, if it's too structured and I'm always right, you're always wrong. Oh, you're right. I'm, that's, that is more of like a parent-child hierarchy dynamic, which is inevitably gonna make the sex worse. It's gonna cause resentment. It's just not gonna be a good thing overall, I think long-term for the relationship. I don't know if you've seen that as well in your couples. I absolutely agree. And I even will explicitly, when I see that power dynamic shift where it feels like you have a parent-child relationship versus two yeah. equal partners, we talk about that. Yeah. And I think what you're sharing also goes into making sure there's room to notice growth and change. Yes. Um, because again, if this is a self-fulfilling prophecy or, you, or couples get stuck in this narrative and kind of agree to it, they'll come in and say like, no, we're trying to change this. We're trying to fix this. And yet they still stay in these power differentials where one person, you know, the good cop is the, you know, the, in that parent, if you will, role, that higher power mm-hmm. role. And the, the bad cop, the one with the problems has less power. And that might've been very, and that's one thing I just want to know. That might've been very useful to when these issues first arose or became aware in the relationship was cool, here's the deal. But it's, it's dug that entrenchment. We're now stuck. 
And there needs to be some intentional effort to give credit where credit's due in different mm -hmm. moments. And that means credit where credit's due when maybe the person with the problem is working really hard to grow and shift or look at the things that were difficult for them. So therefore, there's less shame messaging and more acceptance and cheerleading about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then also credit where credit's due where the partner who in that initial organization was doing the right things, maybe isn't being super useful. Maybe some of their own stuff, or not maybe, always their own stuff is being brought into the system and give credit where like, hey, actually you're, you're actually not always right and you have your own stuff and that's okay. We accept that and care about that too. How could you? But let's give credit where like, hey, you actually kind of made this situation a lot worse in this moment also. I and love we're you're saying it is giving it credit because the other person's like, you're blaming me, but it's not, yeah. it's crediting. Yeah. If, you had a, if you had a participation yeah. in either the, the growth or the demise in a yeah. certain conflict or relationship, you have to take accountability for it, right? Exactly. It's like, here, opportunity to take accountability that you yeah. also played a part in this. And then the yeah. other partner's like, oh my gosh, because I think sometimes they're afraid that the relationship won't withstand that knowledge, right? What if you see me as the bad object and I've, I've previously been the good object, right? Mm -hmm. How will you tolerate the relationship? Yeah. Are you going to be able to stay in it? How is this going to change? Very similar to how people are afraid to change as their individual self, because a lot of their identity is centered around the trauma, the drama, um, the worst, it's the, everything bad always happens, right? This like negative self-talk narrative. And it's like, maybe, or you're choosing to believe that. And so you put yourself in situations that perpetuate that narrative about yourself of the, what was me, mm -hmm. right? But what if one day you woke up and you said, fuck this shit, I've had enough. I'm going to change my life and be a better person and put myself in better situations. You have agency and accountability in that. And it doesn't have to be a fight when you say, like you said earlier, you're right. I did mess up in this part of the conflict. I take ownership of that. What can I do to move forward? Yeah. People are very afraid. It's very humbling when mm. you start to use that in conflict because then mm. it's like, wait, we're not going to fight for a whole day. Like <laughs> this feels weird. We <laughs> like each other more of the time. I don't what, because we're so used to sometimes the chaos, the drama, yeah. one up, one down. I like the power in the relationship and I want to keep it, but that's very much so disempowering your partner. And in a way it's disempowering your true authentic self from coming online. If you have this defense so built up of I have to be the good object all the time and I have to be in the one up position. Yeah. And I think it really does keep deep connection from forming. It does. And it's kind of like, you're, you know, these couples are missing a level up opportunity for deeper bonding yeah. because when there is a power differential, you're not going to be in the same level of connection. True. You're not going to be in a place of full vulnerability and safety and trust. Um, which is probably part of what's keeping that dynamic going too. Like you said, there's some fear that's tied to this that keeps partners there. Commonly, like one of the things you said of, oh, if we get out of these roles, will my partner still love me? Will they still want to if, if this is changed enough? Mm -hmm. Or the fear that, oh, if we, if we shift what these roles are or if we shift how we talk about it, will it actually lead to us not being in relationship anymore where we've learned to at least deal with this situation in this way but change is scary so again is there the fear that now we're going to break up because of this or it's going to get worse or simply put like not just necessarily I mean those are the big ones of oh is the relationship going to end but maybe just the fear of oh no in this moment 
we don't know what we're doing and this can be unsettling and new and scary. And then that's just so distressing. It's painful. Let's not rock the boat. Let's just try to keep it as it is. And at least we'll deal with the current conflict. We know how to you know, like just go through because we've done it a million times, even though it's painful instead of this new thing that's so destabilizing that it's like, wait a second, what's going on? And I hope that's not too vague for, for listeners. I'm just pointing out like different types of fear that can be underlying that perpetuates this kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. The fear of the relationship shifting and changing, the fear of very intense distress mm-hmm. when you're trying to adjust things differently, particularly with a power dynamic. It's scary. It really is difficult to do when these moments come up. Yeah, it reminded me this kind of concept that usually how I conceptualize it usually people stay how would I put this usually people stay in a certain position either out of fear or out of self-certainty right and so if I have a very large fear of change then I'm going to stay in this position I'm currently in because it helps keep me safe or I'm staying in this position because I have a lot of self-certainty in this position and I feel comfortable in this position. And it's not necessarily about fear of change. It's more about, I feel comfortable in who I am, even if I know it might not be the most functional version of myself, I know it, right? I'm comfortable here and it's not out of, I'm, I'm afraid to change. So I think it's either both, it's, it's mm-hmm. either, or it can be both to a level, but I'm afraid I'm going to be left is more of the anxiety, fear, fear of abandonment, potentially talking that keeps me in this position versus somewhat of the, the other type of defensiveness, like, well, this is just who I am as a person, take it or leave it. That is different than the weaponized incompetence. Cause I've seen couples come in with like staunch conviction, like in their fifties and they mean it, this is who I am. I've tried to change it over the years, or this is a trait you've been asking me to change. And since day one, I said, I'm not going to change it. Please stop trying to to change me. Mm -hmm. That is where I hope couples move to, even if they're still in a conflict about it. Now we're having a real conversation about this pattern, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, oh, you're right. I should work on this. And they get stuck in that for a long time. The goal for my work with them is to move past that and have people stand up for themselves and truly take an inventory of, I don't want to change this because I'm afraid. Can I have some help? Or this isn't going to change about me. And I need my partner to understand that. And we need to have an honest discussion about our standards and boundaries and ultimatums moving forward, given that this is the positions we're at. Right. And so I think having that having that ability to sit with them is one of the coolest parts about being a couples therapist because we see them entirely objectively. We're, we're not living with you guys. We're not living their life. <laughs> That'd be a cool version. <laughs> Book us for a week. We're not watch, you know, we're not watching them live their daily lives. We get them in a microcosm. And if in that microcosm, we're still seeing this play out, I can only imagine how much it plays out in the rest of their relationship, right? We're with them for 50 to 60 minutes at times. If it's coming out, then it's definitely going to be impervious to the whole relationship and coming Mm -hmm. out and so looking at it like how often does this happen are you wanting to stay in this position because you're afraid or are you wanting to stay in this position because it's truly who you are but you don't want to lose your partner or you don't want to hurt their feelings and so you don't want to really tell them yeah this trait that you think we're going to fix or I'm just like this because I don't have relationship skill is genuinely me just not caring like (laughs) where are we at when it comes to the full truth coming out yeah 
Well, and I think it's a really great direction for listeners if they're hearing like, oh, this might be in my relationship. Taking stock and having an honest conversation, like you say, in your relationship of, okay, is this something that we want to change? And I want to change about myself, but it's scary. I could use a different type of support than what we've kind of got stuck in. Or is it, hey, this is me. Um, This is who I am. And you love me. And I hope you love all the parts about me. And so if, you know, back to a traumatic brain injury, if my brain has these limitations now, and that's okay, then this is going to be me. And we, we all need to accept that. And can we get to that place of acceptance? Mm-hmm. I think that's key, key. One cool thing about acceptance that I probably said on the podcast before, because I'm sure we've talked about it, but it's this interesting sort of paradox that we see in therapy that sometimes when you're trying to change so hard, that's what actually keeps the pressure and the stress that actually prevents change from happening. And then the second you accept yourself and love yourself for who you actually are, it, that's what causes the change. And so it doesn't always happen. I mean, it depends on the situation, the context, but that's actually a very important thing in this piece too, to go, all right. So my brain is this way. This is how I am. Let's accept me. I want to accept me. Can you accept me and be there? And then you'll actually see, oh, wait a second. Now we've broken this dynamic. And some of the things that were frustrating us or getting us stuck aren't, and we're connecting and bonding even more now. Yes. Which by the way, a little mini happy side note, that example I was giving about traumatic brain injury from actual past clients, that's what they got to. They, while working through this and coming to the space, they came to a place of, oh, I can, we can actually accept this is this person's new level of functioning which is very high functioning and very good. It's just, there was some adjustment and fear in that. They actually, from that, accepted each other and how they are. And once that happened, we're actually make the shifts in their relationship they were hoping for that brought them to therapy. So mm-hmm. just a heads up that it actually works that way. I think so too. Yeah. And so just being, you know, I get that this is a, a, a deeper dive into a specific dynamic um, for listeners. Yeah. I think it's so useful and it is so complicated to dive into that if anyone's noticing this in their relationship, it, it's just so key to, as always, talk about, open up, be curious with your partner, like, hey, are we in this? What's going on for us? And kind of take a look at what directions you might want to go in it. Yes. And realize that you can change your mindset. You don't have to wait. It can, you could wake up tomorrow, you could go to bed this evening, what have you, and realize, oh, yeah, I got to change that, or I want to change that, or I'm open to trying to change that. I'm open to having more of a growth mindset and understanding I have a say and I have a part in how this dynamic is unfolding, and I either like my part and I keep playing it and I recast myself the next time the play has a casting, or I go maybe I should switch characters. I don't really want to be the villain for another season on Broadway, right? So you have to really take that accountability for yourself. And what I love to teach couples is coming at it from the position like you're trying, it's almost like you're in sales, you're incentivizing your partner, right? I want to make these changes. And instead of complaining, I like explaining rather than complaining. Instead of mm-hmm. complaining, you never do this. I don't want this. Stop doing it. Write a lot of injunctions, which a lot mm-hmm. of people are parented based on generationally, unfortunately. Start with permissions. 
this is such a great thing that we can do this. If I get this, it'll make me even closer to you, right? Start to incentivize the person, even if it is out of a fear position. I'm really afraid to change because we've built this wonderful relationship together and it really hasn't been since we've both gotten treatment, right? Make it mutual that I've realized I've played this part in it and I don't want to play that part anymore, but I'm so afraid to not play it. And can you just be nice to me? Like, can you give me some grace while I make these changes? Right. Who's going to say no. And if your partner is like, yeah, I'm not going to, then much better to find that out sooner rather than later. And if you are in the dating engagement phase, that is the exact time to be finding this out prior to it being marriage. If you are in the marriage phase and you find this out, you have then another choice with your partner to go, okay, you're not wanting to, we can either give it a try and see how it actually shakes out, or we make the decision to say, then maybe who we've grown into at this point, or, or our relationship was only going to withstand when we were both in these dynamics. And now what is it going to look like when we switch? And if you're already at that position, listening to this, I would offer you, this is also a good time to come in to couples therapy to help get that discernment. You might not be as far off as it feels, and you actually might not need to end the dynamic. If you get some kind of analysis and understanding from an outside third party, or maybe another suggestion of another way to, to go around it and, and, yeah, and or have and, an expert yeah, to be yes. the guide through that shift. Yes. Right. Have you considered yeah. this? Oh, we didn't even think of that as an option. Yeah. That's a great third option. Right. And then you can give it a try. I would say exhaust all possible options before making any sort of decision like that. And even if you don't end up with the person you go to couples therapy with, you will still learn a lot about your, at least I can speak for my couples that work with me, you will still learn a lot about yourself individually, even as part of the couple relationship. And I think the goal is a lot of people may not know this, but when we work with couples, it's both of them. It's the relationship. That's our client. It's not one or the other. And so our goal is the relationship or whatever goals they set out the both of the members of the couple from the beginning. And then we get to provide that expertise and you don't have to be the good cop, bad cop, you can just both be partners in crime, so to speak, or partners yeah, in crime. I like that. <laughs> I, well, I think that's fun. Partners in crime. Yes. Whatever that is, but yes. an egalitarian space of yeah. being, hey, we're going to be partners together and yes. figure that out. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. Let's call that a show. Yes. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening on one of these pet topics of mine. If you have questions for us or you want us to answer your relationship questions on the podcast, shoot us an email, Ryan and Talia at the couples guide podcast.com. You can also message me on Instagram at Talia Bombola. I do some semi-regular Q and A's where I ask for topics. So I will post one of those um, here soon. So just keep an eye out, follow my page. We post the episodes. We post them on our page as well at the couples guide podcast. And until next time, which will be right before the new year, actually, I think we'll post after episode 69. Oh, yeah. Episode 69 in the new year. (laughs) Super fun, super fun, super fun. Who doesn't (laughs) want to start out 2022 with a 69? Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Thanks so much, everyone. Take good care.